Good, good morning. Great to be with you in the house. Let's take just a real quick second and welcome in everybody who's watching online as well. So glad to have you all with us. It is great, kind of week by week by week. We see a few more folks trickling in and being a part of gathering in the house together. We're thrilled that online's available as a supplement, and we try to remind folks that it's as great a supplement as it is, it's never quite as good as a substitute for what happens here in the room. So we've got folks here who are wearing masks. We've got folks who are not wearing masks, all those kind of good things. And we just love everybody. So glad that you're here. Turn to your neighbor tell them, glad you're here. I, I don't know if I bought that. Some of you might have had a little spat on the way to church this morning. Tell them like you mean it. I'm glad you're here. Okay, there you go. There you go. Now, for the last few weeks, as a church family, we've been kind of immersed in this series called Legacy. And we came out of Easter talking about the legacy of Jesus, the fact that after his crucifixion, his resurrection, and returning to heaven, that he commissioned the church, the body of Christ, to kind of be, not kind of, but to be his hands and feet and his voice in this world in his physical absence. He, he left us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And as we've looked at this over the last few weeks, it's been amazing to watch the unfolding of God's purposes, particularly as we're walking through the book of Acts, kind of step by step through the fledgling foundations of the church. And, uh, you know, two weeks ago, our very own Whitney Wiseman was here, preached an incredible message about the conversion of Paul. We can give it up for Whitney. She did an incredible job, amazing job, and uh, talked about Saul, who became Paul, the apostle, author of more than two-thirds of the New Testament. Last week, of course, was Mother's Day. My very own bride, Julie Richard, talked about legacy of moms and that sort of thing. She did a pretty good job, too, I thought, as a matter of fact. So... You know, it's, it's so much fun as a church. We kind of have an embarrassment of riches as far as like people who can flat bring it on this platform, teaching and preaching the word of God. Today, we're going to pick up the narrative in Acts. We're going to Acts chapter number 17. And in Acts chapter 17, we're going to find the apostle Paul is in the middle of his second missionary journey. When Saul became Paul, he began devoting his life to moving the purposes of God forward, sharing Christ with as many people as he could, starting churches, writing letters to those churches that became part of the New Testament, on and on and on. But today what we're going to find in Paul's life is actually something that is absolutely essential to the Christian life for anybody who goes by the name of Christian. If you or a follower of Jesus, what we're going to talk about today is an absolute, non-negotiable, got-to-be-there part of our lives. So I want you to turn to your other neighbor now, who's obviously your second choice, and tell them, like you mean it, with a smile on your face, this means you. Wow. Y'all got to sleep in this morning. You've been drinking coffee for hours. That's, come on, tell them like you mean it. This means you. Now, smile and tell that same person the following. And me too, by the way. It's so funny. Everybody's a little more eager to point the finger at their neighbor. Like, this means you. And this kind of like, okay, and me too. 
But this is where we are this weekend. We're talking about the skill, the spiritual discipline and skill of sharing our faith, of telling other people about our relationship with Christ. Jesus said to his followers, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. I think the best way to, because I know right now some of you are like, can we please talk about tithing? I'd rather not talk about telling other people about Jesus. But I just want you to know, everything's going to be okay. Everybody kind of sit up straight, take kind of a deep breath, take a deep breath, let it out. Everything's going to be just fine, I promise you. Because Paul shows us how this gets done. When it comes to sharing our faith, there is nothing more essential or any more ultimate expression of our faith than telling other people about them. There's nothing, there's nothing more core to our calling or more mature in our mandate as followers of Christ than telling other people about Christ. It's, it goes back to when we were in school. Do you remember show and tell? Remember show and tell when you were in school? I still remember the first show and tell I ever participated in. My grandparents, who lived in Beaumont, had just come back from Hawaii. My grandparents went to Hawaii way, 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 way back in the dark ages, in the 70s. And when they came back from Hawaii, they brought me, their eldest grandchild, a piece of coral. A piece of coral from Hawaii. Kind of like... My grandparents went to Hawaii, and all I got was this piece of coral. But it was really cool. I thought it was the greatest thing. So for show and tell, I took this piece of coral to school. My mom and dad kind of helped me develop a little presentation, and I stood up, and I talked about coral. It's a living organism. It comes from the ocean. This is from Hawaii. My, my classmates were dazzled and amazed. But show and tell is actually the best way to describe sharing our faith because we're always to show our faith in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we handle ourselves, the way that we handle business, the way that we treat our spouse, the way that we parent, the way that we date. We're showing what we really believe all the time. But then there are also those occasions where we get to tell people about a relationship with Christ. We get to tell them the difference he's made in our lives. Mike and Sarah Watson have been part of the Lake Hills Church family for a long, long time. The, the vast majority of our existence as a church, the Watsons have been a part of it. As a matter of fact, Sarah, before she married Mike, was in a Bible study in our home when she was in college with some other college-aged women that my wife Julie led in our home. We'd put the kids to bed like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, and then at 9 o'clock or so, these college kids would show up at my house and start Bible study. I was like, deuces and night-night. But Julie, I'll never forget the morning I woke up and she said, you're not going to believe this. Sarah Catterley had a date with a boy named Mike Watson. And I was like, we love Sarah. She's family. He better be worth it. And he is, and is an amazing family. I remember watching them date, fall in love, get engaged. I did their wedding. I remember when all three of their kids had been born into our church family. Now, I told you that to tell you this. This past week, I got a text message from Mike Watson out of the blue, completely unexpectedly. And, and it was one of those text messages 
that I think is going to be very significant in my life. And I, I took a screenshot of it because I want to show you. Here's what it said. Hey, Mac, hope y'all had a good week. Have you been to Valentina's? Tried it for the first time today, and it is phenomenal. Have a great weekend, sir. Mike. I said, Valentina's? So I texted him right back. I said, thanks for the heads up. What kind of food? Tex-Mex barbecue. If you haven't been, I'm taking you. Let's make it happen. He had me at Tex-Mex. You just pile barbecue on top of that, and that's just, if that's not a spiritual experience waiting to happen, I don't know what is. And I thought about this because I thought, you know, Mike clearly had a restaurant experience that he wanted to share with me. It was something that he felt was worthy of sharing with me, and so he reached out, told me about it, and then when he realized that I hadn't been, he goes, man, I'm taking you with me. We're, we're doing this together. And I thought about that as I was thinking about this message this weekend. If a restaurant experience deserves a recommendation, how much more does a rescue experience in Christ deserve a recommendation from people who have been rescued by Christ? When you understand what it is that Jesus Christ has done for you, you kind of can't help but recommend him to other people. If you really understand the fact that Jesus is the son of the living God, he came to earth, he died on a cross in your place, in my place, so that we didn't have to bear the consequences of our sin. He did it instead of us and died and then rose again with the promise of new life for anyone who would follow him. That's a rescue experience worth recommending to other people. That's a rescue experience that ought to just kind of be spilling out of us. And, and I think that we need to really and truly understand just how powerful that is. The Christian faith is not just elevated self-help. The Christian faith is not just a good idea to live a good life. It is literally being rescued from death into life being brought from darkness into the light and having everything changed and transformed, having our lives radically altered and altering the trajectory of where we're going in this life and for eternity. To understand that when you accept Christ, your eternity is altered and you are part of the community of God himself. It is a mind-blowing thing to consider the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so, as we pick up in Acts chapter 17, we find Paul, who's been in this missionary mode ever since he came to know Christ. And Paul is in the city of Athens. Now, before he had gotten to Athens, the Bible tells us that he had gone to Thessalonica, that he had gone to another town called Berea, and as he was going through this missionary journey of the Mediterranean, he met some significant oppositional headwinds. The, the, the Jews that he had previously been affiliated with who were persecuting Christians now saw Paul as the enemy. They started organizing posses, trying to go out and arrest him, to capture him, take him back to Jerusalem and deal with him there. And so in Thessalonica and then in Berea, the Christians who were in those towns and communities kind of ushered Paul out under the darkness of night, and, and he got ahead of Timothy and Silas, and 
left them in Berea as he went on ahead to Athens. And in Acts chapter 17, here's how the Bible describes Paul sharing Christ. Watch what happens here. This is Acts 17. I'm going to start in verse 16, go through 18, and then skip down to 21. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, Timothy and Silas, in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Skip down to verse 21. Now, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. I love that the Bible chose to include this episode in Paul's life. I would suggest to you that Athens, in about 60, 65 AD, when this is taking place, bears a striking resemblance to Austin in 2021. There is so much going on. You got to remember, Athens was kind of a, a cultural and philosophical ground zero. Athens was the hometown of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Austin. We've got Joe Rogan, Elon Musk, Tim Ferriss, Baker Mayfield. You talk about some philosophers. <laughs> but Paul was in the mix, man. He, he was there amongst them. Athens was also a center of technology. The architecture of Athens was the pinnacle of technology in that day and that age. And it was there in Athens that Paul started to walk around. And he just started to look at the city. He started to look at the people through the lens of the gospel. And it's in this exchange that there are five principles I want to I leave with you today in terms of how we share our faith, how we show and tell the difference that Christ has made in our lives personally and how other people can come into that rescue experience. The first thing that you see is Paul being deeply troubled by all of the idols that he saw there in Athens. And I think that that shows you a lot of the heartbeat behind true evangelism. Evangelism just means telling good news. But the heartbeat behind it is, that you recognize that the gospel is a matter of life and death. You recognize that the gospel is a matter of life and death. This is not just feel-good self-help. This is actually life or death. And so when Paul walked around Athens and he saw all of the temples, all of the gods and goddesses represented, he was deeply troubled deeply troubled by all of these idols because he recognized that these idols were a distraction from the life and death issues that the gospel solves and resolves. Paul understood that as long as the people of Athens or Austin were chasing these other idols, they were missing the main point of life. Now, 
you and I look back at Athens 2,000 years later and we think, a bunch of man-made objects that people worshipped and, and idols this and idols that. That's so primitive. But I, I understand idols. Don't, don't you understand idols? Don't, don't you understand things that we can put on the, the pedestal of our lives and, and look up to, that we can orient every part of our lives around? Maybe it's the idol of, of, of technology and intelligence. That, that's a big one, man. We, we love, it. let's just be honest. We, we all, you know, family here. Austin's a cool place to live. This is just a cool place to live, which means, by the way, we're cool. I mean, we're, we're just, if you live here, you're cool. How many times do you meet people from other parts of the country who haven't been here, sadly? And they're like, I've heard Austin's just a cool town, man. It's like, yeah, that's just kind of how I roll. But, but sometimes cool, sometimes intelligence, technology can become an idol. It can become a little G God, can it? And we think, oh, look at all the advancement. Look at the market. Look at everybody. All of California's moving here. Last one out. Turn out the lights. That's just how cool we are. But that can become an idol. It can become a distraction. There can be the idol of, of material goods and possessions. How many of us, I'm going to raise my hand, how many of us who live here in Austin in the last, let's say, six months have checked the value of your home online? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you have thought about selling? We, we've, all, we've all, I mean, you kind of kind of be crazy, a little crazy to not think about it, right? Like, Whoa! Julie and I moved into our house 14 years ago. It's appreciated a little. Now, we're not selling anytime soon because then you got to turn around and go buy in the same market. But when I saw the difference between what we paid and what the realtor said we could get for it, I, I, I paused. I thought about it. But materialism can be an idol. I thought about this one too, particularly as a dad. If I'm not careful, my kids' success and happiness can be an idol. We, we think as parents, we just want to raise happy, healthy adults, happy, healthy kids. But, and if our kids can get into the right college, they can get a good job, they can have a good life and everything. But sometimes even our kids' quote-unquote success can very much be an idol. It, it becomes the center of a parent's universe if we're not super deliberate and intentional about it. And what ends up happening, the great irony is, when we idolize our children's happiness or success, we undermine their happiness or success. When we point them to Christ, when we point them toward a relationship in Christ and we teach them the ways of God, we teach them to love God, love his house, love his ways, when that happens, then we give them the recipe for success that they'll be able to follow the rest of their lives when we're no longer around. But our kids, our kids, if we're not careful, can become, I mean, because they're, they're kind of important. And, and we, we look at our kids a lot of times as, as a referendum on us as human beings, right? Man, I, how many times when, Particularly if you have toddlers, how many of you have ever had a toddler and you've had to leave a public establishment because of a hissy fit? Can I just see you show of hands? Like you were just like, how many of you have ever thought about saying, whose child is that? 
You know what I mean? But our kids can become an idol. Our kids' success or happiness. And Paul, Paul recognized the life and death nature of the gospel. And so these idols that Paul looked around and saw in Athens, he saw as a distraction to the life that is truly life. And so he was deeply troubled. When you see someone building their lives around distractions, around idols, the answer is Christ. The answer is that rescue recommendation that I talked about a second ago, to, to, to have the opportunity maybe to engage in a conversation like Paul did here in Athens. And, and by the way, that's, that's the second principle I want to make sure that we don't miss because it's, it's implied in between the lines here in Acts chapter 17. You recognize the life and death nature of the gospel, but you also engage. You engage with people. You, you have these conversations with them. Now, you need to have it in, a, in an appropriate manner. I would encourage you not to walk into, off, into the office tomorrow carrying a big pulpit Bible and say, I'd like to tell you all about Jesus. Please don't do that. And if you do, don't tell them you go to church here. But you engage with people where they are. You, you engage in conversation. You, you make it just a part of your conversation. Man, yesterday in church, the music was ridiculous. Our, our, our worship team's incredible. The preaching's okay, but the music was unbelievable. Just, just kind of throw out those seeds a little bit. See what happens. See where they go. Paul engaged with these people. He had debates with Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. He had done the homework. He could have a conversation beyond just his own range of experience. He engaged with them. I think about Alan Graham. Alan Graham is the founder of Mobile Loaves and Fishes. Some people don't know that, but he was the founder of Mobile Loaves and Fishes, and it started by just serving peanut butter and jelly sandwiches out of the back of a minivan. Alan looked at the homeless problem in Austin in 1998 and said, I'm just gonna, just gonna help some people out. And that became the birth of Mobile Loves and Fishes, catering trucks stocked with, with food and clothing to help homeless and chronically poor in our city. And it was through that experience of engaging with people that Alan figured out that the root cause of homelessness is not about drugs and alcohol. It's not about, it's not homelessness itself. It's, it's not veterans affairs. It's not mental health. None of those things. The root cause, Alan says, of homelessness is the catastrophic breakdown of family. The catastrophic breakdown, the loss of community. And with that realization, God birthed in Allen the dream and the vision of Community First, a master plan community where folks can come off of the streets and buy a, a tiny home and, and earn a living wage. And not only earn a living wage and get off of the streets, but they're a part of community. They have a church that they can belong to where people love them and value them. And it was all because Alan chose to engage. He chose to engage with the world and not retreat from the world. That's what Paul's doing here in Athens. Man, I want to encourage you as your pastor, engage with people. Be where they are. When our kids were young and growing up, man, I loved coaching Little League Baseball. I didn't play baseball. Sorry, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about baseball. I could coach them up to about third grade. After third, you know, before third grade, you're like, heads up, don't get hit. It's a hard ball, run. That, that was, I could coach that. 
But then they get in. And so I, I was a part of it outside of the church. Julie said one time she was standing in the, she was in the baseball stands, the bleachers at the field. And, and I was coaching first base, and I was encouraging a young man on the team who was picking daisies in the outfield. And I was encouraging him very loudly as, as a coach. I was like, heads up! And I'm thinking, you, you could die. Just, I need you to watch. And so I'm trying to get his attention. I'm yelling, I'm yelling. And Julie said, all of a sudden, she heard this guy behind her go, that guy is a pastor? <laughs> I wasn't being ugly. I was being a great encouragement to the young man out in the outfield. But I, I was passionate about it. I, I was worried about his safety. You engage with people where they are. Paul is in the public square daily having these conversations. He's not shrinking from them. He's engaging with them. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a passage of Scripture. As a follower of Christ, you should memorize. The Bible says, your word I have hidden in my heart. Look at this. Now, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That means he's in charge. He's God, I'm not. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, 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 do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared. Sharing your faith, spiritual show and tell, is a skill. You, you have to learn to develop the skill of sharing your faith. Next Sunday, May 23rd, 5 p.m. Next Sunday, May 23rd, 5 p.m., you need to be a part of the napkin gospel class that we're offering. Pastor Terry Cadwell has put together this amazing class that is so simple to help you learn how to share your faith with people who are not yet Christians. Next Sunday, May 23rd, at what time? 5 p.m., the napkin gospel. So you, you could be in a restaurant and just share Christ with somebody on a napkin. If it's paper, don't write on restaurants cloth napkins. But if it's paper, right away, share Christ with people. That's next Sunday. Always be prepared. Be ready. Be looking for these opportunities. Paul gets to Athens, and he's not thinking, man, whew, I'm out of Berea. I can chill out. Timothy and Silas are going to catch up with me in about a week. I'm going to the spa. He walks around, and he starts seeing people. He sees a city. He sees a culture through the lens of the gospel. He was prepared. He was ready to share his faith, to show and tell now, what happens in this exchange is fascinating. It's interesting because the people of Athens gave Paul a hearing. They, they invited him to an area known as the Areopagus. The Areopagus would have been kind of the philosophy supreme court of Athens. So if you had a philosophy, you could come and it could have a hearing and people would kind of vote up or down on it. So these people say, who is this babbler? What, what is he talking about? The, the, the word babbler in the original language means a seed picker. Who is the seed picker who's just kind of picking seeds and throwing stuff out to see what sprouts? So it wasn't a term of endearment or respect, but they gave him a hearing. And look at what happened. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it to an unknown God. 
This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. So he, he starts, he starts very, very intentionally. He, he recognizes the life and death nature of the gospel. He engages with people, but when he engages, respects his audience. When, when you engage with somebody to share Christ with them, to show and tell your faith, respect your audience. Begin by respecting. The first rule of communication is always consider your audience. Consider your audience. Consider your audience. Paul does this with respect. He says, men of Athens, and, and by the way, it was all men, by the way. That's, that's a whole other sermon. But he says, I noticed that you're all very religious. The people of Athens in 65 AD would have been like the people of Austin in 2021. They would have said, we're not religious, but we're spiritual. Paul says, I, I, know you're, I know you're spiritual because I see all of these idols. I've seen all of the temples. The, the name of your city, Athens, is named after the goddess Athena. And, and I even noticed that there was an altar to an unknown god. You see, the people of Athens were trying to cover their bases. They, they, were, they were saying, we'll believe in any god anywhere, and in case we miss one, we're going to lift up an idol to an unknown God. We're trying to appease the gods. And Paul, Paul saw this, and he, and he uses this as a place to build common ground with them. Look at what he says. For in him we live and move and exist. He's talking about God. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So he starts with respect, but then he builds bridges of common ground. He says, even some of your own poets who are not Christian say that we are God's offspring. We're the offspring of the gods. And here Paul is using a direct quote from a Greek poet, Eridus. And he uses this to build a bridge of common ground. When you start to share Christ with people, look for areas of agreement Look for places where you can find commonalities that point to the cross, that point to Jesus. This is what Paul's doing here. And he said, listen, I want you to know, I'm here as an advocate of you. I'm on your side. I know some of the philosophy that you live by. But I'm going to point you to the God who can be known. The God who created everything. The God who is the author of truth and reality. The God whose son was commissioned to die on a cross in your place and in my place. One who is not formed by human hands. This God is the one who makes humanity in his image rather than gods who are made by humanity in their image. So he's building this common ground now look at verse 32. This is an incredible point of freedom. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. Can I take just a real quick time out? You know, I love what Roger said earlier. If you're not out of breath, you're doing it wrong. If you share Christ faithfully, you will get rejected. There will be people who don't buy it. Some of them laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. 
But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Some of them, some of them believed. Some of them listened. And it wasn't because Paul used brilliant language. It wasn't because he used the right argument at the right time. It was because the Holy Spirit of God did his work in the hearts of those people. And, and so the last thing that you see Paul teaching us here is to trust God with the results. Be faithful with the message, but trust God with the results. If somebody mocks you or ridicules you for being a Christian or for sharing your faith, you wear that as a badge of honor because that means you tried. That, that means that you stepped out of your comfort zone and you made that rescue recommendation to them. But I'm just going to tell you, when you see someone become a Christian, maybe, maybe it's someone that you invite to come to church with you. Somebody that you, as you build this skill and develop the ability to, to share your faith and to show and tell, and, and you start by inviting somebody to come to church with you. If they come here, I promise you, they will meet Jesus. <laughs> we, we, that's kind of our deal. We're about Jesus and his word. But when you point someone to Christ and they respond to the amazing grace of God, I'm just going to tell you to buckle up because you'll never be the same. There is nothing like it on the planet to see someone investigate, ask the hard questions and choose to follow Christ in faith. I'm just, I'm just gonna tell you, because I love you, it will mess you up in the most beautiful, powerful way imaginable. It will mess you up. You can't, you can't get enough of it, you can't feel it enough, you can't taste it enough, and, and to see it happen one time is worth 20 rejections to see one person. Isn't it fascinating that the Bible mentions by name some of the people who chose to believe Paul's message? Isn't that interesting? Dionysius, Damaris. It's almost like the individual actually matters to God. That's how much you matter to him. You matter to him so much that whatever your motivation might have been for being here today, God made sure that you were here to hear the gospel. And if you've already accepted it and chosen to follow Christ, then he wants to use this time to spur you on to love and good deeds, to, to share him with other people. But if you're here today and you've never accepted him, You've never chosen to follow Christ. He might have had you here for exactly this moment. I want to ask you to bow your heads if you would. In, in a moment of prayer, 
And if you've never chosen to follow Christ, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To respond to that rescue experience invitation of Christ. Just pray silently where you are. Talk to God and say something like this. In your own words, just silently say, Jesus, I need you. And I ask you to come into my life. I'm inviting you to be the Lord of my life. I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back. In order to claim and receive your forgiveness completely. And Jesus, in exchange for your life, I will give you my life. And I will follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. And if that was your prayer and you meant it in this place, then I want you to know that you're surrounded by people who want to help with what comes next. And so the first thing is just acknowledge that you made that commitment to Christ. If that was your prayer as our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for a moment as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. As a family, as a church, we honor that and we celebrate it with you. And as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.